fellowshipping this morning and we get to walk together. There's just nothing greater. I, I hope that you're here this morning knowing that God's name is great and we're here to worship him and we're going we're gonna to do that today. If you're new with us, we're really glad to have you. If, you're, if it's your first time or second time or fifth time, we're, we just, we're just happy that you're with us. And we, we believe that God brought you here today, not, not any time, but today to be with us. And we love you because of that. And we want to be part of your life in any way that we can. So, uh, man, just reach out to us, pastors. We want to meet you. We try to get around and meet you. But if we don't, please know where our hearts are at. And uh, you can call us or text us. Our numbers are on the back of this bulletin. And uh, we'll be whoever we can be for you. But um, most importantly, we love you and we're thankful that you're here. So uh, we got some great things going on. Uh, Just a few things coming up. Next week is the senior potluck right after this service. If you're a senior, bring something amazing so that I can eat it. And uh, just come right across the hall after that and feed it to me. Oh, wait, it's about you. But anyway, it should be a great time for uh, you guys to spend some time together as seniors. And uh, it's a nice time for us to get to know you. And then next Saturday is the men's prayer breakfast. So if you're a man and you haven't been to the men's prayer breakfast at 730, you should probably come. It's a great time. We just get together and uh, they cook a great breakfast up there at the chapel at 730 on Saturday mornings. And we just spend a little bit of time praying and uh, fellowshipping together. So just get up and come. You won't be sorry. And then uh, we've got some baptisms this morning. Praise God. Uh, So here in a little bit, we're going to baptize some people. So I hope you'll just uh, prepare your hearts to worship God as you see just the, the great miracle of salvation just being displayed for us today as, as people are going to come and say, I want to be a disciple. I just, I've, I've been saved and I'm taking this type of obedience. Let's stand up on our feet and uh, worship the Lord. God, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for uh, letting us all worship you through baptism here in a minute, God. Thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit upon us, Lord, so that we can know how great you are. Thank you for bringing us together in this place to worship your name and hear your word. Pray that we'll listen carefully, that we will let your spirit speak to us. We'll repent if we need to repent. We'll we'll lay our, our burdens at your feet if we need to let go of them and let you have them, Lord. But most of all, Lord, we'll just obey you and let you work. Thanks for being our God. Amen. young ruler who came and said, what good thing can I do that I may obtain eternal life? Isn't that the question that every religion in the world asks? A question we can ask if we're not careful? And how last week we were pointed to a different thing, how Jesus came to two men and he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? They cried out, have mercy upon me. That's what we do as believers. He comes to us and he asks, what can, how can I serve you? How can I change your life? And when we let him, he gets all the glory and we get to praise him for it. 
Let's sing the second verse together.
turn and encourage one another this morning. Hey guys, have a seat. Have a seat. If you can't see me, you're going to have a hard time seeing the little ones that are going to get baptized this morning. So if you want to move and see, that's great. Uh, if you don't want to, that's great too. Um, we're pretty excited this morning. We're always excited about baptisms. And honestly, it's been a little while since we had baptisms. And that's something I hope you're praying about, right? Uh, people get baptized normally right after they're saved. And so when we do baptisms, we're celebrating the work of God in a person's life. And quite honestly, baptism, if you read through the book of Acts, is, is a very important part of our walk with Christ. It's this great testimony. It's this great picture. It's this great step of obedience. And so I'm going to read just a little bit out of uh, Romans chapter 6, a few verses, because it speaks about the picture that takes place through baptism and it says in Romans 6, 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." 
think I'll just stop right there. In other words, what it's saying is when we come to know Christ and are baptized into him, when we become surrounded by him and engulfed and owned by him and he lives in us, then we literally are baptized with him into his death. In other words, the old person that was before Christ dies. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what happens when somebody is born again. And so then after that, then we are raised to newness of life, right? So we die to our old self, which is the picture of baptism, as we lower them under the water, and then we bring them up out of the water. It's a picture of us being made alive to Christ and walk in newness of life. So that's what these guys are doing today. They're testifying to that. And so we have a, a great variety. Uh, we're going to have, we're gonna start with grace. So we're going to share a little bit. I think Owen is going to just let me kind of lead him through some stuff. But Grace is going to share her testimony. Grace, come out here. I know, I know, over here. Because some people can't see you back there. But she wants to share a little bit about what God's done in her life. I have had a strong connection with Christ because I have a family who loves him. I've been raised in a family that reads and teaches the Bible. I've gone to church since I was born. I'm thankful for being born into a Christian home. While I've been taught about the Bible, it's never been personal to me. This year in middle school, I started going to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. One day I shared John 3.16 with the group. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, and I started crying because I felt God calling me to him. Not long after, I was sitting on a bench outside after school alone, waiting for my mom, when I felt a pull that that was the time to ask Jesus into my heart. When, I, when my mom picked me up, I told her, and she cried with me. She helped me through the rest of my prayer. Everyone has celebrated with me. I, um, I believe that God sent his only son to die for us. That is how much he loves me, and that is how much he loves you too. Come on down here. Okay, so this one's kind of special to me. <laughs> this is my grandson, Owen. And uh, obviously I'm proud of this one. 
but uh, he's a little bit shy, so I'm going to just ask him some questions. So, Owen, do you do you realize that you were a sinner? Yes. And what did Jesus do for you? He sent his son to die on the cross for all of us. He did. Jesus died on the cross for us, didn't he? What did he do on the third day? He rose again. And did you, do you believe that he died and rose again? Yes. And did you ask him to forgive you of your sins? Yes. Did he? Yes. <laughs> so are you ready to follow him? And you want, you want everybody to know you want to follow him? Yes. Awesome. Owen, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're going to have to have some help on this one. Yeah, this is Chad Bergman, and so Chad's going to share a little bit. My name is Chad Bergman, and I've been coming to church here with my wife, Tammy, uh, since last August. Uh, I was raised in uh, Holland, Michigan, uh, part of the Dutch community there. I went to the Reformed Church, um, and I was blessed absolutely blessed to have a family um, that just loved the Lord. And I have um, several people in my life that were just great mentors to me. Uh, my father, Ron Bergman. I have an uncle, uh, Dennis Booby, and a youth group leader um, that just bless me immensely, and I, and I learn from their example, and I think as adults, we need to remember the example that we are, uh, both in our action and our words, um, to those around us and our, and our own family, so I was just blessed from that, um, and, but I realized I had a sin problem still, uh, Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned, even people that go to church, so um, that really hit me, as well as um, Romans 6, 23, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, so I, I realized when I was a teenager uh, that I had a sin problem, and during a church service, um, I gave my life to Christ, and shortly thereafter, I made a profession of faith and was baptized However, being from the Dutch Reform, it was not a full immersion baptism, uh, is part of the reason I'm here today. Um, my, um, I'll call it life verse, verses, is uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Um, and I'm just, for by grace we are saved through faith, and this is not our own doing, it is the gift 
It's a gift that God gives us, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us. And that verse to me means a lot because I didn't deserve um, the grace that God gave me. None of us do because we're all sinners. Uh, but he changed my heart um, as a teenager, and I learned um, that he is always with us. And shortly thereafter, I went to a, a Young Life camp in Estes Park, Colorado, with my youth group. It was the best week of my life because I spent an entire week um, with about 200 other Christians. And it just gave me a little glimpse of what heaven can be like. But going through life, we also have many valleys. And I believe God gives us the, um, the peaks to um, give us hope for the future of heaven. But he gives us the valleys to learn from and learn that we need to use our faith to rely upon and cling to him to get through those times of trouble uh, that we encounter. So I'm here today to reaffirm my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior with this baptism. Right, Gabe. This is Gabe Randolph. We've we've been friends for well since summer, right? Yeah, and uh, I'm going to let you listen to him. He has some things to say to you. What would you like to tell these people about why you're getting baptized? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that for those who believe in him shall not perish but have a very eternal life. Isn't that great? All right. Now, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Yes. Has he forgiven your sins? Yes. Are you going to follow him with your life? Yes. You believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. All right. This is our brother in Christ. I get to baptize you as our brother in Christ because of your profession and faith. you 
order up here. Um, let's pray together. <clears throat> it's, isn't it good to have baptism together in our church? It's been a while, so God is good. Today, we want to remember uh, our missionaries around the world, but we also want to pray for each of us as we fight the battle, the spiritual battles in our lives every day. Don't forget, we're in a battle. The Apostle Paul said, I fight the good fight. And um, we need to be doing that as well. As we serve Christ here in Casper, uh, be encouraged. Maybe you're going through discouragement. Maybe you've had a battle. Maybe you're going through uh, some marriage issues or you, your, your anger, whatever it might be. Let's pray and give that to God because we have the victory through Christ. He's, he's our Savior and he's our Lord. He's there for us. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You've given us battles in life. You've given us struggles. You've given us hardships. Whatever it might be, discouragement, depression, whatever it might be, Lord, we just give that to you this morning. We say, Father, you, you take care of it. Uh, we just, we want battle. We want to fight the good fight. We want to be uh, living testimonies, uh, light to the world. And we can only do that as you, you work in our lives and in and through us. Father, thank you for College Heights. Thank you for these baptisms. How exciting is it to see our people being baptized and, and just showing their faith in Christ. Father, may today be a, a glorious day as we worship you. We thank you for the, the word of God that will be preached. Just give Pastor Mike the words for us today. And uh, we're here because we love you. Father, as we take the offering as well, may you be glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mannion, come forward and we'll take the offering. Thank you. Yeah. 
last week, Pastor Mike pointed us to this verse. The men were crying out for mercy, but the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. Has the crowd ever told you to be quiet? about you guys, but I got a crowd in my head telling me to be quiet, telling me God's too busy, he's got better things to do, they're just not that important, and when those, voices, when those voices come up, we're grateful for other passages, I love Luke 12, where Jesus tells us, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom, when we see who our Savior is, as Pastor Mike finished it out last week in Matthew 20. Our Savior is moved with compassion when we cry out. He'll come to us and touch us. Give us our sight back. We can follow Him. We came to believe, every one of us, crying out for mercy. By His grace, may that be our cry until He takes us home, because we sure need it. Let's sing this second verse together. Nothing says mercy like the cross. Nothing shows our need for mercy. Nothing shows how sweet and generous our God is in giving it. So let's rejoice in that this morning. I will 
Man, what a great day. I love to, just to see what God's doing in people's lives. And I don't know that I've ever done baptisms from this tall to this tall, but we did today, and it's pretty, pretty fantastic. So praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 21 this morning. You know, there's, it's always interesting to me as I walk and as I, as I pastor and, and spend time with people and see what God's doing. And, you know, there's always times where there's just battles taking place spiritually. Uh, battles for marriages, battles for families, uh, battles for the hearts of people, you know, battles for, you know, conflict and stuff like that that take place. And, you know, it's, it's been... It's been kind of one of those, I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't say a season, but it seems like it's been that way for a little while. There's just some battles taking place in our church and around our church. And, and quite honestly, it's not that surprising, uh, especially when you think about people coming to know Christ and, and people being saved and doing ministries like our upward ministry where we, we stand out front and we, you know, boldly share testimonies and we, we share the gospel with these kids and, you know, it's a public ministry and, you know, we're starting a thing on Thursday nights where we're going to go out and just share Christ and encourage people just in their homes. And uh, anytime you kind of step out and begin to speak truth to people, you can just might as well know that there's going to be some struggles, right? There's going to be some some trials, there's going to be some opposition. It's going to, it's going to manifest itself in various ways and in different lives. And, and you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Quite honestly, we should be thankful for that. Uh, if we can get our minds wrapped around the truth, which is that by sharing Christ, right, there's a spiritual world that then is triggered, right? There's an evil in this world, the devil and the demons in this world, and the Bible tells us that they're, you know, that they hate us, they hate Jesus Christ, that he's our enemy roaming about seeking someone to devour, and that we have to resist him, firm in our faith, and all these things that we, we talk about, maybe you know a little bit about, but the truth of the matter is, is that they're real, and they really do happen. And so, you know, when we look at Jesus, we wonder, you know, what did that look like in his life? And it's kind of funny because some people don't think that Jesus ever rocked the boat, that Jesus ever confronted anybody. I mean, I, I grow weary of people telling me that Jesus never offended anybody. You've never apparently read your Bible because he was always offending somebody. They wanted to kill him multiple times before they actually did kill him. And so, you know, when we look at the scriptures and we begin to see what's going on, we, we come to this place in chapter 21 where, man, he's days from the cross. He's days. It's Sunday, first day of the week. He's gonna give his life on Friday. So it's days. And as we read this passage of scripture this morning, I want you to realize that, as a matter of fact, I titled my sermon this morning, Let the Confrontation Begin. Things were amping up, right? Spiritually, they were amping up. And, and you and I need to be ready 
for serving Jesus because when we serve him, things are going to amp up. They're going to be more difficult. They're going to be more costly. They're going to be more challenging because they, they mean eternal things. And there's a battle for souls in this world and there's a battle for your heart and my heart and it's not a game. It's real, right? So let's look at this, Matthew chapter 21, beginning of verse one, let's talk about let the confrontation begin. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a day to celebrate today. I celebrate, Lord Jesus, what you have done and are doing in Grace and Owen and Chad and in Gabriel's lives. I celebrate what you're doing in the lives of each one here this morning and in so many others' lives. Lord, you are at work around us. And Lord, you are you're calling us and leading us I pray for those that are here today that have never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that today they'd believe and be saved, that you might be honored in them, that you might bless them. But I also pray for us as followers of Christ that, Father, you do a work in us. You're not asking us to coast. You're not asking us, Lord God, to, to be ashamed. You're not asking us to hide and to think that we can walk through this world without confrontation at times. Lord, you've called us to some specific things, and among them is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. I pray you'd help us do that and rejoice in it, Lord. And Lord, when the battle comes, give us grace to know that you're with us and the battle is yours. And Lord, I love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this passage of scripture. And if you've been in church any kind of number of time, most of us would say, well, this is the Palm Sunday passage, right? And, and quite honestly, most of the time we talk about this passage of scripture and we talk about the rejoicing that takes place. And, and there's certainly some rejoicing that's taking place. But, but the truth be known is that there's more to this passage than just some people rejoicing in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is working in a very specific way. He's been telling them since chapter 16 that he's going to Jerusalem. 
And every time he tells them that he's going to Jerusalem, he tells them that he's going to be handed over, that he's going to be beaten and mocked and spit on, that he's going to be flogged and that he's going to be crucified and that he's going to rise on the third day. So he's not telling them, hey, we're going to Jerusalem to celebrate. He tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. Now, if you read the, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't really speak about Jesus being in Jerusalem until here. Luke mentions that he was there when he was 12, when he went to the temple, and then he stayed when his parents left. And if you know the Bible, you know that story. But really, it's only the gospel of John that talks about Jesus being in Jerusalem before that. I don't really know why that is, but he was only there even a few times then. So going to Jerusalem was in the book of Matthew, kind of the goal, the pinnacle, if you will, the, the most important thing of what Jesus was doing. And, and it's true, while he did heal, while he did teach, while he did bless people all along the way, man, he came, he left heaven and the glory of, he added with the Father to become a man for this moment, right? He's headed to Jerusalem. But we find him in this passage, and he's at the top of the Mount of Olives. And, you know, it's, it's been a blessing to be to Israel a couple times because you can picture it in your mind. I mean, just outside the city of Jerusalem is the Kidron Valley. You read about that in the Old Testament, and it's literally this valley with the brook Kidron at the bottom of it, and you climb up the hill, which is the Mount of Olives where the, where the Garden of Gethsemane would have been located. And if you're there today, you would know what I was talking about. You could see the hill that he rode down. You can kind of get an idea where he would have been, and he's at the top, right? He's at the top of the Mount of Olives. It's not a long journey from there, but you'd be able to see the whole city from where you are on top of Mount of Olives. Mount of, Mount of Olives, and, and they don't really know today where Bethphage was, but basically what scholars say was that it was a suburb of Jerusalem, but it had its own wall around it, so it had its own city, and so he's there, and what's interesting to me is when he gets there, like he's on the way. I mean, get the picture, let me help, let me help you get the picture, right? Like last week, we talked about this large crowd, large crowd following him, and it wasn't just people following Jesus. I mean, this is the Passover feast that people would come from all over Israel to come to. If you came from the north or from the east, you would come up this road from Jericho. So not only did Jesus have his followers, which is a pretty big crowd, but there would have been hundreds and thousands of people coming into Jerusalem at this point in time. Jerusalem swelled from about 30,000 up to about maybe even 120,000 during these things. So it was a massive intaking of people, and they're traveling with Jesus. So here he is, there's all these people around. He knows that, man, things are becoming really intense for him. And, and all the celebrations taking place, all this confusion is going on. But he says to his disciples, hey, go into Bethphage. There, you'll find a donkey there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, guys, when you read your Bible, I hope that you'll kind of read through and, and just stop every now and then and go, why? Right, why? Why would Jesus need a donkey and her colt? Was he tired? No. Nowhere else in the Gospels do we read of Jesus riding on an animal. He wasn't tired, right? He had a purpose for this. And, and I always love to watch Jesus through the Gospels because he was always in control, 
He always knew what he was doing. He always had a purpose that he knew he was going to accomplish. And so when we look at him saying, go get a donkey and her colt, he had a purpose. He was in control. As I studied this week, one, one commentator wrote and said, well, he obviously prearranged this because nobody's going to let you have their colt and their donkey if you don't, unless you're Jesus, who's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I mean, I don't think he had something prearranged because the prearrangers would have been his disciples. The ones that he would have sent to prearrange would have gone ahead of him, and they hadn't. He just said, go into town. When you get to town, you're going to find a donkey and her colt tied up, untie them. And if anybody says anything to you, just tell them the Lord has need of it, and they'll let him go. And they did. I mean, I love that Jesus is in control. Don't ever miss that when you read the scriptures. But then if he's in control... Why did he want these animals, right? And he tells us here, and they're, it's pretty fantastic. He says in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so the disciples went and they did just that. But, but the thing that I marvel at is, is what Matthew says to us. The reason Jesus sent to get this donkey and her colt was to fulfill the prophecy about the Savior, about the Messiah, right? In other words, this was spoken by Zechariah probably 500 years ago. Zechariah wrote around 500, 520. So 500 years earlier, this guy who never laid eyes on Jesus wrote that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be riding on a donkey. Now let me read to you the actual full prophecy because Matthew kind of paraphrases it, but let me read it to you because it's absolutely beautiful. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so the, the prophecy that Matthew is paraphrasing here would have been one very familiar to most of the Israelites they would have understood that this was a prophecy about the Messiah, but they probably didn't really comprehend what it was saying. Because to be honest with you, even though we're going to read about this crowd saying, Hosanna to the son of David, you know, uh, blessed is he who's come in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, these guys didn't really fully still comprehend who Jesus was. And what Jesus was going to do. I mean, you know, most of the people in Israel are like most of us. What we live with is what we can see. What we live with is what we have to endure. What we live with is what we enjoy. What we live with is what we want many times, right? And when it came to a Savior, most of the Israelites were like most of us. They wanted a Savior, they wanted a political savior. They wanted an economic savior. They wanted a savior that would bring them into the place where they would be at ease and where the, all the other governments would leave them alone and they would reign and they would rule and they would have all this comfort. It's much like us, isn't it? 
I mean, gosh, don't tell me it's not because I know it is. Most of us today, the savior that we want is a savior that would give us more money, more comfort, more ease, less taxes, less burdens, less control, right? Yeah, I got to... I know we do because we talk about it. And many of you talk about it too much. You live as though what you want in this world is the world and all the blessings that the world has, except the scriptures tells us that to be friends with the world is to be enemies with God. And we've got to figure that out because these guys hadn't figured it out yet. And Jesus is about to show them some things that they needed to see that they weren't going to be ready to grasp until after his resurrection. But if you'll look back and you'll think about what we've learned, Jesus has been teaching us some things that we're still struggling to learn probably, like who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he brings a small child and sets him in front of him. And then he says, unless you're converted and become like a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he tells the rich man, hey, if you want to obtain eternal life, go and sell all the things that you depend on that's not Christ, all your possessions, all your money. Go get rid of that stuff and then come depend solely on me and you'll have eternal life. And then when the the sons of thunder, Bonerges, he called James and John. I love that. It's my favorite name for people in the Bible, Bonerges, sons of thunder. (laughs) Sounds like they ought to be on the WWE or something, you know. But they come to him and say, command that one can sit on the left and one that can sit on the right when you come into your kingdom. And, And Jesus is like, look, that's not for me to give. It's not for you to want. And he teaches them, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be slave. And he tells them, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He's been teaching us that, right? And now he's he's across the valley from the city of Jerusalem. I'll never forget the first time that we went into Jerusalem. It was such a powerful thing in my life. We're riding in this bus. We've been riding in this bus. We've been to some pretty cool places up in the northern part of Israel. And we've come down to Jerusalem and it's the sun is setting in the west. And we're on the east side of the city and we're going up this mountain. And we get to the top of the mountain, the top where he's at now. And we bridge over the top and the sun from the west is shining into this bus. And they crank up the music that says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your gates and sing. Sorry. I'm like, I could just die now, Lord. What is my purpose after this? And there's the city, the city of my king, the city of my savior, the city where they crucified him. You can see it. It's glorious. It's incredible. It's beautiful. He's at the Mount of Olives. And here's how, here's how God's word describes him coming, though, right? You should rejoice greatly. You should shout and triumph, Jerusalem, because your king is coming and he's just. He's right. He's fair. He's true. He's endowed with salvation. He's full of, equipped with salvation. 
but he's humble. And he's mounted on a donkey, and not just a donkey, but even the colt of a donkey. And kings didn't ride on donkeys. If you read about David and read about David's sons, they rode on mules. If you don't know the difference between a mule and a donkey, it's significant. Donkeys are little. Mules can be huge, depending on how they're made, if you will. This is a beast of burden. This is just a tool for the Israelites. This isn't something you would ride to be glorified. It's not something that you would ride into battle. They would ride horses into battle because they were faster. And so they didn't want to ride a donkey. You know, this wasn't an impressive animal. This was describing him coming in humility. And listen to what it says about what he's going to do. He'll speak peace to the nations, not just to Jerusalem. He's going to speak peace, right? And peace between God and man and peace between man and man who will walk with God. And then it says, and I love this, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. He will reign over it all. And his kingdom knows no end. But he doesn't look like the king that Jerusalem wanted. And he doesn't look like the king that you and I want, though he was the and is the king. There is no other king. And so we, we come to this passage and we, we immediately realize that, that Jesus is making a statement that this isn't Jesus kind of thinking, boy, it'd be fun to ride on a donkey's colt. No. This isn't Jesus being tired. This is Jesus coming to the city that's been the focus of his heart since he came on earth and making a statement. And the statement is, the king is coming. The rightful king, the one prophesied from years ago, is coming. I'm coming, and you need to notice I'm coming. Right? He's not, he's not haphazard about this. It's purposeful, specific. And so he gets on this colt of this donkey. Now, the picture again is this kind of wide open hill. You could see. You could see from the city. You could see at the bottom of the hill. You could see at the top of the hill. You could see that there's hundreds, if not thousands of people coming over the hill down into the city of Jerusalem. But there's one now riding. One. You think he stood out a little bit? I promise you he did just by him riding. So he's saying, hey, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. And if that weren't enough, the Bible says that they, they took their coats and they put it on the donkey and he got on the donkey and then the others took their coats and laid it on the ground and put the palm branches on the ground. And what they were doing is saying, we're rolling out the red carpet for you. You are somebody extraordinary. You're not common. You're not ordinary. Jesus is making a statement saying, I am the king and we go, well, that's cool. <laughs> well, maybe. 
maybe. But, but know this, after they've spread out their coats on the road and put the branches down in front of them, they, they begin to sing. And I, I love this picture. They begin to shout, if you will. Even though they don't know exactly who he is, because in a few days, many of these same people are going to be yelling, crucify him, right? They don't fully know yet because they don't understand what kind of king he is. But they start to say, Hosanna to the son of David. And I love this. Hosanna just means save me now. Save me now. And this is not just a prayer. This is more of a declaration Save me now, son of David. Son of David was a messianic term. They had already been told that the king that would live forever and reign forever is going to be a descendant of David. So when they said son of David, they were talking about the Messiah. So they believed that this is the Messiah, though they were confused about him. And what they're saying is Messiah has come. Salvation has come. Save me now, Savior. Save me now, Messiah. Save me now. They were thrilled about Jesus coming. They were thrilled about salvation. And you and I should be, shouldn't we? I mean, I don't know where it happened within the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America that we're not excited about salvation anymore. We're just not. I know we say we are, but we're not. Man, we don't get excited about Jesus. When I talk to people about sharing their testimony, they're like, I don't know if I can do that. You don't know if you can do that. Well, what do you know about Jesus? Do you know that you and I are sinners and we are nasty, gnarly, stinky sinners? And do you know that the king of glory, God himself, took the form of a man and willingly laid his life down on a cross to pay the sins and the price that I deserve to pay and you deserve to pay? And he did it because he loves us. And on the third day, he rose again, bursting out of that tomb to declare to the whole world, there's one Savior, I'm it. And when you know him, you have been forgiven more than you could possibly imagine. It was the greatest day of your life when he saved you. And the greatest day of your life today is to be saved today. But you don't know if you can do that When did salvation become so cheap? When did Jesus become so cheap? When did the life that was bought by Christ's death become so insignificant that when we say, hey, you want to share your testimony, you go, ah, I don't know if I can do that. Can I paraphrase? I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to tell anybody about Jesus. I don't really want to. That's what that means, isn't it? These guys didn't even know what he was going to do. These guys just thought he was a political savior. These guys just thought the Romans were going to be sent packing out of town and Jesus was going to ascend to the throne. They thought it was small. Shoot, man, we elect somebody to office and people put hats on their heads and start telling people that they're for him or against him. 
because it's a big deal. No, 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 Jesus is a big deal. He's the biggest deal. He's the best deal. There isn't anything that compares to the Savior coming and the Savior. Save me now, Savior. Save me now, they say. And they go, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed. Look at him. He's amazing. He's glorious. We've been talking about a Savior for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and he's coming. They might have been confused, but they weren't confused about what they should be doing in response to him. You and I should be worshiping every day. And man, I know that's a battle. Man, sometimes we don't feel like it, and sometimes, you know, we're busy and blah, 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 but come on. We're talking about Savior. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at him. He's the Savior of the world. And then they sing, Hosanna in the highest. Save me now in the highest form. And they're worshiping. And man, the crowds are, man, they're in a frenzy. I mean, they're in a frenzy. They're not just excited about the Passover now, which they would. Most of the time when they were coming for Passover, they would gather with others from different villages as they got closer to Jerusalem. And the closer to Jerusalem they got, the louder the singing became. And they had certain psalms that they would sing, and they would sing all the way up that mountain across the Kidron Valley and in. And they would go to the temple, and they would stand at the temple, and there's steps in the temple that have two or three steps to them, three or four steps to them. And they had certain psalms. They'd wash at the bottom, and they'd start singing because there was three or four verses in a psalm. They'd sing that psalm. And then they'd go another step, four or five verses. They'd sing that psalm. And they'd go up the steps of the temple until they got closer. And there was a, a door that they called the rat's entrance, if you will. It was a narrow door where the crowds would have to narrow through. And they'd get down through this narrow door. And when they came out, there would be the temple in all of its glory and the gold that was all around it. And this beautiful creation that God had given them. They would know God was in there. And they would just sing Thousands of them singing because God had delivered them from Egypt, right? And there's this frenzy now, though. And I'm going to say this. I want you to think about this. If something greater than the temple is here, someone greater than the temple is here. Now, we're going to see by the end of Matthew that the temple is no longer needed, Right? Because the veil was torn from top to bottom. And the entrance to God was made through the King, through the Messiah, through the Savior. This was a powerful moment, right? As Jesus is declaring himself to be the Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's riding down to Jerusalem. And everybody around him is praising God for him. And when they get to the they get to the city, right, they've not been in the city yet. Verse 10 says, when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And that word stirred there is not a positive word. That word stirred there means shaken. It means upset. It means offended. Here's the 
center of, if you will, self-righteousness in Israel. Here's the center, if you will, of higher education in Israel. Here's the center of politics in Israel. Here's the movers and shakers of their day. And here's this guy making this statement with people all the way down the hill declaring him to be the Savior. Save me now, son of David. Save us now to the highest. They're worshiping, if you will. They're declaring this, and they get down to the place where he should have been most accepted, to the place where he should have been most worshiped. And they are offended and go, who is this? Now, I love the answer. (laughs) I love this answer. I know this isn't a typical Palm Sunday sermon because we never talk about Jesus offending somebody on Palm Sunday. Couldn't do that. But the answer is even shocking because the answer says in the crowds were saying, the crowds that brought him down. This is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, honestly, it doesn't take much to read in your Bible to figure out that if you talk about Nazareth, Nobody in the Bible knew where that place was. It was so insignificant that they didn't even know where it was most of the time. And Galilee was offensive to the people of Judea and Jerusalem because they were just kind of half-breeds, right? They were the lower class. They were the place where when the Syrians had brought in other people and other nations where they had kind of intermarried and they, they saw them as less educated, less important. So, so when they say, hey, who is this guy? The crowd that would have known Jesus better, right? Many of them had been with him in the north. Many of them had been with him and saw his miracles. I mean, they would have had more access to him because he hadn't been that much in Jerusalem. The crowd say, we want you to know this is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Do you know any snooty people? I, I know, that's right. We're from Wyoming. We aren't snooty. Well, maybe some are. And all I can just, all I can see is these snooty people that go, well, that's just nothing to us. I mean, even when Jesus was calling his disciples, Nathaniel had gone to find Philip. And he says, we found the Savior. And so Philip's like, how do you know? And so he says, come meet him, you know. And he says, where is he from? Nazareth. And Philip says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Scripture. But here's what these people are saying. Look, we may not fully understand who Jesus is, but know this. He's the prophet. Now, he didn't say king, but to call him the prophet would have equated him with the one that was to come in the likeness of Moses. Right? They would have known this. They were looking for the prophet to come. The one who was coming in the likeness of Moses would have been, what, the Savior, the Messiah. So they're saying to this bunch of religious elites, the self-righteous ones, the Savior's come. He's from Nazareth in Galilee. And it would have been the most offensive thing to these people. And the whole picture, the whole picture of this passage is our Savior, Right? Our Savior. 
Man, he has been looking forward to this time. He has been burdened looking forward to this time. He knows he's now there to die. He knows what's coming. Because on the night before he was arrested, he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. He knew. He knew all that was going to happen to him, all the sin he was going to become, all the punishment he was going to take, all the wrath from his father he was going to experience. He knew. And so he knows as he's riding down this hill that he's come to confront these people with who he is. When they said, who is this? They were then forced to wrestle in their heart about who Christ really is. If he's really the savior, then it's time to worship because he's here to be the savior. If he's not the savior, then we should reject him and get rid of him. And he's here to confront them with the truth of who he is. And I want you to know that it's true still today that we are about confronting people with the truth of Jesus Christ. I know we don't want that, do we? We don't want to have to confront somebody. We don't want to have to offend somebody. We don't want to have to ramp it up. We don't want to have to continue on. But that's what we're called to. We are called to be quite honest about who Jesus is to let people decide, are you going to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you going to reject him? Are you going to have eternal life? Are you going to spend eternity in hell? You are called, we are called to be confrontational. And it doesn't have to be mean. Jesus was not being mean. He was humble. Man, he was gentle. He wasn't showy. He wasn't on the big stallion. He wasn't on the white mule. He wasn't acting like a king. He's acting like a savior, like he's taught us to be, to be the child, to be the humble one, to be the servant, to be the slave. That's what Jesus is teaching us. But he's also teaching us, take the truth to them. Take the truth to them. Man, just this week, this representative from Upward Basketball accidentally got a hold of Aaron, our director. Aaron didn't even know he was calling. He just answered the phone and kind of immediately wished he hadn't because we've taken some stances with Upward, right? When we first started doing Upward 17, 18 years ago, the devotions were all about Jesus and all about the gospel until Upward began to grow bigger and bigger and then churches began to complain. Churches began to complain. We can't be this offensive. We can't share this offensive gospel. And we began to notice that those devotions then began to change to the place where it wasn't about Jesus and it wasn't about salvation and it wasn't about truth. It was about make you feel good or some moral principle. So we just quit doing their devotions. Pastor Max writes our devotions and they're all about the gospel. And so this guy calls Aaron, and he's like, hey, I haven't talked to you for a while. This guy tried to get a hold of me several different ways, and I just, I just don't talk to him. 
I know, Ben, sorry. (laughs) I don't have time to talk to all these people. I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't have time for it. But he got a hold of Aaron, and he's like, how's things going? And what do you think of our program? And Aaron is a gentle soul. He says, well, your devotions stink, and they're not about Jesus. I'm not sure if he said stink, but he said something similar. Like, we don't use them. And matter of fact, and I love this about Aaron, because he's in some ways like me. He says, if you weren't good at packaging uniforms and other things, we wouldn't use you at all. I told you he's subtle. That's what I like about him. At least you know where you stand with Aaron Rodolph. And this guy kind of him hawed and tried to defend himself. And then a couple of days later or the next day or same day, I forget what it was, the president of Upward called Aaron and said, what is the deal? Because we want to be about the gospel in there. So you got to put the gospel back in it, then where is it? Listen, you think you can get through this world and live for Jesus and not confront people with the truth? You can get through this world without confronting people about the truth, but you can't live for Jesus. If the king of glory started the confrontation on purpose by declaring, I'm the savior, you better get with it. Don't you think you and I need to have the willingness to confront people with the gospel and let them make decisions about what they do with it? Some will reject it, no questions about it. And some will not. But you and I, we've got to make that decision that we're going to be, at some levels, confrontational. Man, Aaron and I might be hammers. I I don't know why. I don't know why. I wish I wasn't more times than you think. Honestly, I try in so many ways to be humble and patient and gracious. I, I'm, I, I do. I'm not kidding. I'd so much rather not have to speak. I'd so much rather not have to just lay it out to people. I'd so much rather sit back and do nothing. But do you know what the Holy Spirit says to me? Speak. And keep speaking. And keep telling. And when you do know that people are going to hate you for it, people are going to reject you for it, People are going to mock you for it. But then the Holy Spirit says, but oh yeah, remember, they did that to your Savior. Servant of all. Slave of all. The last will be first. The first shall be last. As a body of Christ, we have to decide. We do it pretty much every day. Are we going to speak truth? Are we going to stand firm? Are we going to be confrontational? We run contrary to the flow of this world by standing on Jesus Christ today like I've never seen before. And there is no other way to do it. There's no other way. So are we going to do it, College Heights? Are we going to keep standing and be contrary to the world. By the grace of God, we will. 
but it's going to take prayer and it's going to take faith and it's going to take courage and maybe above all it's going to take humility and grace and mercy and love and we need to persevere and overcome and endure are you with me are we together it's going to take all of us And let me just throw this in there. Next time somebody says, would you share a testimony? Do not say, I don't think I can. Say yes. Then there's the other thing. We have, we have a decision to make right now. Jesus says, I'm the Savior. Jesus says, I'm the only Savior. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to forgiveness. There's no other way to life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. What are we going to do with him? Are we going to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David? Save me now, Savior. Are we going to go, who's this? What are you going to do? If you don't know Christ today, choose Christ Put your faith in him. He died for you and rose again. Put your faith in him. He loves you and he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you right now. You got to choose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord God, for sending your son to be our savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being unashamed of being the Savior, confronting people who rejected you and doubted you and who would ultimately crucify you. Thank you, Lord, for the courage to declare to the world one Savior, you being the one. How I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that today they'd believe in Jesus and be saved. And how I pray, Lord God, that we as a church would stand unwavering, unapologetic, and yet, Lord God, filled with grace and mercy and love, full of humility. Help us stand firm. And I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in your church. I pray you'll be glorified in our families. I pray you'll be glorified in us individually. I pray you'll be glorified in this response that we offer up to you as an offering of praise and worship. May you be blessed. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. If you've trusted Christ and you've never come forward and said, hey, I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I want to follow him in a baptism and I want to be a part of your church, come forward. Uh, it's not time to draw back. It's time to stand. And if you have questions about salvation, come ask one of our pastors. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus.
seat guys will you please you guys come up here Vincent and Randolph's do we have a white oh there's a there's a handheld okay all right come up here guys Victor come here up here and turn around I'm going to show you guys off um <laughs> Victor's not so sure anyway so this is Ben and Jennifer and Victor Randolph uh you met their little guy Gabriel in baptism a little while ago he's in super church and there's a few others that they have. And so um, anyway, well, one other here. But the Randolphs have been coming for a while, um, got saved out of the West Coast and uh, moved to Casper. But they, um, they're really excited about being a part of College Heights. They've been saved. They've been baptized. But they say this is where God wants us to be. And so if you're excited about that, yeah. say amen. You guys want to say anything? You want to say anything? <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> I, uh, like I told Pastor Mike, you know, if, if the church is blessed by our presence, then this is where we need to be. And I think that uh, so often in my walk with Christ, I'm always worried about me, me, me. But... Uh, hopefully I'm maturing to the point where it's about being of service to others. And that's what we hope to do is just be of service to the body. Amen. (laughs) 
And this is Vincent O'Connell. Um, uh, this has been a blessing for me to watch Vincent grow. He hasn't always appreciated me because um, I'm like Aaron and I speak truth sometimes, but it's been good to watch him grow. And Vincent has come this morning to say he wants to be baptized. And uh, so you want to say anything, Vincent? I'd love to. Okay. I think I've had a difficult walk with God. Um, I was already baptized before. I was baptized when I was young, and I don't think I understood it. And um, I thought I always walked with God. I've always watched out for people and um, tried to put people ahead of myself, and I was always worried about my works. And uh, as we heard before, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says... uh, I don't have it memorized. I'm still working on that. Um, but um, for... By grace but, are you... For by grace are you saved through for faith. For by grace are you saved by faith, not through your works, lest any man should boast. Um, and I, I think that's how I was walking through my life. And I guess where, where I was, I've given a testimony before, and what I realized was God brought me to my knees. That's where I needed to be. Um, he brought me... Before death, I was, I was thinking about hurting myself, killing myself. And um, it was that day that I prayed. And he's brought me more blessings than I could ask for, more blessings that I deserve. Um, I realized how dirty of a sinner I am, and I could, I could never pay it back. It doesn't matter what I do. Um, and his love is what saves me, not not anything I do, and I could never deserve it, and I just want to honor him. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of excited about that. Um, you know, God's good. He's just incredibly good. That's a, such an understatement, but, you know, to walk with Ben and Jennifer and Victor and their family and to walk with Vincent is incredibly humbling, Right? Because God's doing a work, and that's why He, that's why He brings people to His body. Uh, he always adds people that we need. Right, the body of Christ is built together, and so when one has a gift and a strength, it helps the person that doesn't have that gift and that strength. When one has wisdom, it helps the person does have wisdom, and it, it's just this body that whereby Christ displays His glory and His power. And we treat the body sometimes like she's no big deal when the Bible says that Christ bought the church with his blood, the church. And so when these guys are coming to be a part of it, we always pray this, right? Lord, help them be what we need them to be for us and help us to be what they need us to be for them. And this is about learning to walk together and honoring Christ and what we do. And so it's a huge day. Uh, celebrating the baptisms. We have more baptisms next week, which is pretty exciting. Maybe we'll get Vincent and get him going next week. But um, pray for God to bring more people to salvation and to build his body and to build his kingdom. It's such a gift, right? So I'm going to pray. You guys come up. And if your huggers hug, if your shakers shake, if your handshakers shake, Um, careful, but uh, let's just celebrate what they're doing, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and what you're doing. Um, No, we don't deserve these blessings. 
we don't deserve to be a part of the lives of the four that came and testified to the transformation you've made in their lives. But we are thankful to be a part of that. And we don't deserve to have Ben and Jennifer and Victor and their family and to have Vincent here, Lord. We don't deserve that. But we're thankful for them. And I do pray, Lord, you would strengthen your church. That you'd help us be even more unashamed of the gospel. That we would be willing to be servant and slave to not only each other, but to the world around us. That we would humble ourselves like Christ did. And that we would love them enough to lay down our lives, to tell them about Christ and to serve them and bless them. Yes, Lord, it's a high calling. But it's full of joy and peace. It's full of blessing. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take us there more and more. Thank you for what you've done here this morning. We give you praise. And as we leave this place, may you bless us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.